0: I'm Ian Wealdon, a senior lecturer at Newcastle University and host of the Cultural Peeps podcast. Today's guest is Andrew Weatherhead, the senior volunteering and community officer at the National Trust property Seaton Delaville Hall. Andrew's role in the National Trust is broadly split into two parts. The first is managing around 200 volunteers who contribute to all parts of the hall's activities and the second is developing relationships with local communities through projects, activities and events. In our chat, Andrew describes initially wanting to be a history teacher, influenced by an inspirational teacher he had at high school. After university, he worked in a series of retail jobs before returning to university to undertake a museum studies course at Newcastle University. As part of the course, Andrew undertook a placement at South Shields Museum and whilst looking for work, applied for a job at Seaton Delaval Hall, initially as membership and welcome supervisor. This conversation was recorded on site during May 2023 and is an edited version of a longer chat. I'd like to thank Andrew for taking the time to talk to me about his career path so far. And I should say that this is the second time we recorded an episode for the podcast. The first attempt was in the summer of 2019, but was shelved due to the COVID-19 pandemic. So thanks to Andrew for having the patience to answer some of these questions twice. I hope you enjoy the episode. So thanks for joining me today, Andrew. If we could just hear a little bit about who you are and what you do
1: here at Seton-Delville Hall. Yeah, so I am the Senior Volunteer and Community Officer here. Um, So I've been working in this role for almost a year now. Um, I have worked at Seton-Delville Hall for quite a while. This is my sixth year now. Uh, So I used to work within the welcome team. So we used to... um, do a lot of the membership work and all of that sort of stuff and working with uh, basically everybody who comes through the door but we've, in the last year I've moved into uh, into this role which is something quite different so it's um, largely as it sounds it's it's an all-encompassing view of what volunteering is to the property so it's um, looking after our um, existing team making sure everybody has um, the tools that they need to to do the job but it's also doing a lot of um, recruitment work so we did a lot of that in 2022, not long after I'd started, we'd um, come through quite a big project here at Seton-Delible Hall. So um, nearly £8 million has been invested in conservation, but also in the visitor infrastructure and opening up new spaces. Um, and we've had to move quite quickly on bringing those people in so that we could really have a strong visitor offer. So we've done a lot of recruitment, but it's looking through the whole volunteering journey and what our vision is, what we want that to be. So we're looking at that now and how we want to sort of diversify our team, bring new people in and work with a, a wider range of, or as wide a range as possible of people as we, as we can really. What's interesting about it as well is having eyes on so many different teams, you know, it's not just one kind of volunteer here that we have. Almost every team has volunteers from visitor welcome through to our gardens and outdoors team. Uh, We have a woodland team that's almost like a ranger. We have food and beverage volunteers, right up to the people that work in our house experience team telling our stories every day. So there's a lot of spinning plates, uh, but we look after all those people and we help them through whatever they need. But we also plan social events, things like walks and trips and things like that. But that's sort of one half of it, which is already quite a lot of information. That's the volunteering aspect. But the other half of it is the community work as well, And what that really means to us is Seton Delible Hall being considered um, a community asset. Uh, We're not just something in the local area that takes or has a need. Uh, We want to be seen as, you know, something that is wanted, something that is welcome and something that pays back what it gets out of the community. You know, where we are, uh, we're very lucky geographically. A lot of National Trust properties, people often think of them as being very rural and distant. And a lot of them, that's very much the case. You know, a lot of our northumberland properties you've got Wellington and cragside they are miles out of urban areas you know you're talking 15 miles from a big town we have Blythe, we've got seaton Delaware itself we've got seaton sluice and even whitley bay all within a sort of three mile radius so we've got a huge local audience to draw on and it also means we can do really valuable stuff in the community so we're looking at taking our teams out into there working with other community groups you know we you see a lot of this before before COVID, but a lot of it after as well, there's this big growth of friends groups, you know, friends of certain areas and things like that. So we're trying to set up some work at the moment with the friends of Hollywell Dean, for example, so that we can take our large team out into there and do some work with the community as well. Um, so just to talk about the first bit there, where you talked about volunteering
0: and working with those different teams. So how many volunteers do you have here?
1: Um, it's a, sort of ever-changing number but at the minute the last count that we did we've actually got 207 Whoa. active volunteers at the moment which well, is that's uh, way higher
0: than I. Thought it's a
1: big number say. people are always surprised and that's why i always like to talk about it no matter who you tell it to um everybody's always surprised by the number of people that we have here uh and it's just it's partly because there's a lot of work to do but it's also i think it shows that we do offer something valuable here you know that's the thing about volunteering for me it doesn't matter on the con. you know the context or the location necessarily but the work has to be meaningful and it has to um, be worthwhile and we've you know we've brought a lot of people in over the last year but we've got people who've been with us since 2010 when the property was acquired or even technically before then and everything in between which is it's just really nice to watch all of that sort of gel together. And how are those
0: 207 kind of roughly split across those different teams you Um,
1: talked about? So almost half, um, or actually pretty much exactly half, are based in our house experience team. Um, So those are the people that are in our indoor spaces, primarily engaging with our visitors on a day-to-day basis and telling stories. So with us being open five days a week or every day in the school holidays, we have quite a big rotation there. So it does require a bigger team than most to sort of keep those spaces open, but more importantly, keep those spaces engaging and things like that. So we do require quite a lot of people on the floor every day, whether it's half a day or a full day, but we normally have about eight people per shift just in the inside spaces. And you see a lot of rotation through there. Uh, And those are also the people that are leading our guided tours and things like that as well. Um, So it does take a big resource and it is one of the biggest parts of our visitor offer But our outdoors team is also quite a size as well Um, we've got about 65 to 70 gardeners at the minute we've also got a maintenance team who help us with all all things non-historic in terms of maintenance you know they'll do everything from building new disabled bays in our car park which has been a huge win um to break and gravel whatever they need to do but then they also do fantastic things like building picnic benches putting new doors on, they've built all of the decoration for our Easter trail and things like that. We have people everywhere through all the different seasons. Huge number. I didn't realise
0: it. (laughs) I'm assuming that kind of grows and shrinks our seasons, you know, winter versus summer.
1: It does. It does. Um, We've got people who are here all year. Um, You know, the spaces are open all year or the grounds need maintenance all year, but people will sort of shrink and contract over time. We definitely see fewer people during the winter and I think that's, very understandable particularly in the indoor space which I suppose sounds a little bit odd but in the outdoors you're always active so even if you garden and even if it's cold and in the winter you're moving and all that sort of stuff in the inside spaces with the central hall being the way that it is which is a a partial ruin it's freezing it's actually colder than outside (laughs) Um, so we do very gladly wish people a, a kind break over those kind of you know those kinds of times we only want people to come to us when they want to you know what I mean we don't want people to feel forced to come in because we need people or anything like that. People should choose to spend their time the way that they want to. Um, And I think temperature can very much uh, factor into that for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And then the
0: community work that you do, do you work with the same groups consistently or are are they project-based relationships that you
1: have? Well, a lot of this is um, just getting off the ground now. Um, The way that I would like it to be done is to is to embed this long term. Uh, we will work with some groups and other charities on specific projects. We're working with um, a group called Changing Lives at the moment, which is another charity. They work a lot with um, social deprivation and poverty, but they also work with people coming through the criminal justice system. So we're just about to join on to one of their projects at the moment, which is called Story Chair. And this is a group of women whose voices have largely been ignored. They've already done a raft of work on stories of, of women who have committed crimes and been through the prison system. And a lot of the stories that they find often that these these women are incarcerated for reasons which is not their fault. Um, you know, they're either economically deprived or they're, they're stealing in order to feed their families and things like that. And these are historic stories that chime with what they're experiencing now. But there's also very little opportunity for those people to make their voices heard. So that's something that they've been doing and they're coming to us in a few weeks to engage with our stories. We've got stories from the Delable family, You know, we're talking 18th century stories of um, women who had children out of wedlock, who had struggles with addiction and things like that. And they're going to take that and create various different pieces of art as well as a chair and an audio installation. And we're going to be lucky enough to host that if they choose us they could come here and change their mind. Yeah. Um, but that's one example of a project, but a lot of what we would do in the local area I would like to sort of embed working with, you know, friends groups or um, other voluntary action organisations and things like that. I would like it to be start of to be the start of a long-term thing where we take groups out into the community to help do planting, um, put raised beds in, anything that, you know, people would like of us if we can do it, we would of course always be, be happy to do that. So where there's, where there's need or a request, a, a project is great and it has, as long as it has a legacy to it, which I think is the important thing. Um, I think that's something that we often talk about because of you know the wider work that gets done on our property is that you know it does have to have a lasting legacy, otherwise you don't take any learning away from it. Um, so there is need for stuff like that, but a lot of the root and branch stuff on the ground I'd like to think has a lot of continuity, so it'll be exciting to see where it goes. It's quite a, a difficult thing to
0: balance those two things. So, is there such thing as a, an average day in your in your job, or is it a cyclical thing, or project? What what kinds of things do you
1: find yourself doing on a day to day basis? It's a, it's yeah, it's definitely one of those things where it can be either quite structured but still hectic, and there's a lot of different things going on, which is part of the reason that I like it so much. Um, I'm someone who's definitely not built for a office nine to five kind of job, you know, like moving into this role, I do spend more time in an office now than I did previously, but I'm not someone who can sit and manage their time over eight hours of sitting at a desk, which is what I really like about this job. So we do, you know, I work with a lot of my colleagues here within different teams on the system then. um, I might go up into the house and help them with the morning briefing and get those those guys sorted. Um, or at the moment we've got gardeners and a couple of different things, so I usually go out and spend an hour with them, get them sorted, get the kit, and then they tell me how to do garden. You know, I don't have a <laughs> I don't have a clue um, other than sort of which way which way up it goes. Um, yeah. But what what you'll immediately get called out on, which I always think is fairness and hilarious, If you go out and you go you go out and talk to a group and you you want to engage them and just have a chat and just get a general sense of um, how they're enjoying their time. And then if you're just standing there talking, they'll just look at you up and down until you pick up a tool so do and something. crack on. Yeah, yeah, because you uh, you work and talk, yeah, you yeah. work and talk, and all of that sort of <laughs> stuff. Um, but we do, um, you know, a lot of different events or meeting with different groups and things like that. So I'm usually always on the go somewhere or we have to pair it right back operationally. You know, when we're busy, the hivers jacket goes on, the, the cars get parked. But actually, that's another um, way of working with volunteers. We have events volunteers actually like to come in and people love to come in and park and organize cars things. and organise. Yeah. Think there's a power that comes with telling people where to put <laughs> their cars which is uh, which, you know which is a quite a big thing and people seem to get really into that so I um, actually spent a lovely part of the Easter weekend just with a small group of volunteers parking cars and, and things like that but we're always up to, to something different.
0: So I seen that connection with volunteers on the ground or doing stuff on the ground and having such a very uh, set of, of bits to your job means that you can find out where things need tweaking or where
1: things need improving that's right and that's definitely one of the big things that we have to do is to keep an eye on those things and make sure that there aren't things bubbling over that you don't have eyes on you know you want to find it and work on it or if there's something that we should be doing more of you know it's not just about the negatives it's about the positives as well you know you want to find those little nuggets of things or find more about people so you can celebrate that success as well so it's you know, in, in some senses, it is a very strategic job because you've got to look at the big picture, but you would never be able to understand it without being on the ground and being realistic about it. You know, it's um, it gets harder as the team gets larger to try and um, keep a personal relationship with so many people. Yeah. Um, but I think it's as long as you make the effort, you know, people appreciate that. So it is really, really important to spend time with different groups so you actually know what, what matters to them, you know. It's... It's all well and good, other people coming and telling you things and all that sort of stuff, but it's it's better to try and go and action it yourself. You know, we've done a lot of that, particularly with our outdoors team um, last year as well. We worked with them quite a lot around, you know, what improvements they wanted. They were starting to feel like there was a little bit of a communication breakdown and things like that. And we, um, you know, we looked at that from the ground up and we got a, a team together of half of staff, half of volunteers, and we worked it all out and it feels... To be in a much better place now, you know. Yeah. And um, we'll see where that goes. But it's listening to people's voices and making sure that their opinions are taken on board and all of that sort of stuff. So it's yeah, it's really, really important to be on the ground and personable and seen, rather than this mysterious presence that sends emails out on a Friday with updates yeah, and being things like that. Is critical to exactly. That stuff, isn't or, or rather than people know where I am in the office, that's fine. Um, but it's also being out and about and all of that sort of stuff, you know, rather than someone, you know, you can go in and see them. You know, I like to think that a lot of the time I'm trying to be out and there and all of that sort of stuff. So is this the kind
0: of work that you thought you wanted to do when you were thinking about careers when you were a teenager, for example?
1: Not really, to be honest. I thought I was going to be a teacher. That was my career ambition up until the point where... um, sort of a decision needed to be made you know I went uh, I went to I went to uni and studied history and that was what I was going to do that was always the subject I enjoyed the most I wanted to go and uh, basically be a secondary school teacher and teach history and then I don't know what at what point that just sort of stopped being a reality but it was certainly where I was at uni and then to be honest I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, So so where did the teacher thing come from at school where did that do you have family that do that or not at all really um, a lot of my family were um, nurses or something like that but we I think it comes from probably being in school I did have a very engaging history teacher particularly but had, we were quite lucky really you know I was quite lucky really that I did have quite a lot of positive experiences with school and with teachers which you know is not the case for a lot of people um, he engaged students and i was like you know i very much like to think that i could do that yeah um and that was what i wanted to do and also i was just you know just completely fascinated with with history in the past and all that sort of stuff which takes me through to where i am now i suppose you know working in heritage and all that sort there. of stuff there's there's a correlation there and it makes a lot of sense but it's it's not something i would ever really given much thought to and yeah. until later really i'm assuming that you were Good at history, as in you've enjoyed it, and I
0: was and... a bit of a swot. Right, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> probably not so much as I got older, actually. But in school, I definitely was. Yeah, right. And was that alongside other subjects, or was that the expense of other stuff?
1: No, not really. Um, yeah, I was quite academically gifted, I suppose. Um, not exceptionally so. I wouldn't want to make claim to that or anything like <laughs> that. But um, no, I was always, I was always quite good in school, I particularly really anything that, um, um, English, um, history, all that sort of stuff we did, a Media Studies GCSE was more what I was interested in, and um, more scientific and maths-based stuff was yeah. definitely not my, uh, not my forte, but all of, all of that sort of stuff yeah. um, was, was really what I was interested in, and still interested in now as well, of course. Um, you go on to do
0: A-levels after school? And what did you do
1: there? What combination of things? So I went to Newcastle College, and I did um, history, uh, French, which was a bit of a rogue one, which I hadn't mentioned previously, but I had had quite a good year for that. So we did history, French, media studies, and English literature. Right. Um, So almost all of a pair, you could say, of a set, you could say, (laughs) kind of humanities. Yeah, humanities-based stuff.
0: Yeah. And and. Whilst you were doing that, were you focusing on particular things in history? Did you have options within that or were you just doing whatever was, was thrown at you? Um,
1: yeah, it was sort of still mandated there for those courses. There were still um, sort of set things to study. Um, it just sort of was lucky to lean that it sort of went in the direction of things that I was interested in. You know, sort of, as I became older, became quite fascinated with... Um, social history or more 20th century history, all of that sort of stuff, you know, things like civil rights always fascinated me or workers' rights movements, all of that sort of stuff and how society becomes more democratic as well, you know, all of that sort of stuff. I always find those sort of mass-led things much more interesting than kings and queens and Stuarts and Tudors and all of that sort of stuff, probably because it involves more real people almost, I think that's always what I find interesting. People's stories, um, more relatable people and things like that as well, I always found that interesting and also just how change can be affected by groups who were previously marginalised or something like that, you know, that's why I always found those sort of things so fascinating.
0: So were you doing anything outside of your A-Levels at that point? Any? Were you going to sites or, I'm thinking like you're interested in history, but was there a link with museums, for example, or heritage sites or other bits of volunteering or anything like that?
1: Did a little bit of volunteering, yeah. Um, I think we did quite a lot of work with Tain and Weir Museums on and off because I was from South Tain, so we did some work with um, RBA, Roman Fort and South Shields Museum early on, but it was very much on, off. Um, You know, I was thinking of myself now as quite chatty, quite difficult to shut up and all that sort of stuff. (laughs) Um, But actually, when you think about it at the time, I don't know how outward going I was actually. You know, I think a lot of the time um, I didn't do too much stuff like that. It was actually probably working part-time and things like that that really helped with confidence and the ability to communicate and and stuff like that. You know, working in service roles and things like that, that actually really helps in. So you, How it we, makes you confident and all that sort of stuff, yeah.
0: Were you doing that to support A levels? And, um, and yeah.
1: So I did, yeah, I think um, when it, once I moved into my first year of A levels, that was when I got my first part-time job in retail, and that was sort of what I'd done um, right through until sort of later in my career as I started to establish and stuff like that was either retail roles or customer service roles, and um, you know it does teach you a lot. It's not necessarily what you would want to do forever and all of that sort of stuff but it does teach you a lot about um, handling difficult situations or how to communicate and things like that and it's these kind of soft skills that are invaluable and it's a a really good way to to learn them and you can do that from voluntary opportunities as well it's just finding something that suits you and has a a need. uh, I'm sure loads of that
0: stuff that you were doing then is
1: applicable to the work that you're doing now. Very much so. draw on it a lot as well you know when when being interviewed for this position and things like that but you know I do a lot of that stuff now where we do um like our annual briefing for example you know that's sort of something that I lead on so I spend a lot of time giving presentations or the recruitment is probably the biggest part of it you know bringing um new volunteers in you know it's a it's a property tour it's all of that sort of stuff and um, and it's all things you know I, I didn't start working here and then learn it it was things that you build up yeah over time by doing different roles and, and stuff like that yeah so when you finish
0: your a levels you go on to university i think you mentioned that before yeah. so was that just to focus on history at that point
1: yeah that was that was very much still thinking that was um to go to do history to go to study history which is what i did um at northumbria uni but still thinking that that was where i would end up um doing a PGCE or whatever it was right. after that um, and that was still very much the plan but it was still very much just history at that, at that point and all that sort of stuff. Was that quite unusual amongst people on your course to have that kind of mapped out? I think so um, although I think, I, I think having spoken to friends and others about it as well I think sometimes when you're in school or you're going into um, you know the next step I think a lot of it is how it's framed, or certainly how it was framed then is, you know, you, you must think about what you, what you want to do and all that sort of stuff. And you get a little bit of careers coaching in school. And then there's two things that you do. You either go and do your A-levels, then you go to university, or you go and do some sort of vocational course and you get in a trade and, you know, you think like, it was only, you know, 2008, but it feels like a different time in terms of, yeah. that was the two things that you did and you either went or you didn't. And that was the only ways into it and I think that's probably the effect that it sort of had on me is thinking of that's that's just what you do I was interested in it so that's why I went and studied it and all that sort of stuff. somebody mentioned it to you like you know you
0: you know the careers
1: advice thing where somebody said I think I should think about teaching. I think I'd made my own mind up on it to be honest (laughs) Um, I don't really know where that came from but I seem to recall just making my own mind up on it and then sort of being told that yeah that's a that's a good thing to do. That's a good career to have. Like you know, go and do it. Go and study for it, and go and do it, and all that sort of stuff. I don't think I was ever challenged on it, or like, have you actually thought about what it what is, or do you know that it's hard work? You know, like, especially <laughs> if you want to go and work with um, teenagers and all that sort of stuff. You know, no one's saying it isn't rewarding. I mean, you know, I've got friends who do it and all that sort of stuff. But uh, I don't think <laughs> I don't think you ever really thought about anything other than saying you were going to do it and what yeah. the reality. Maybe, be and it just I d I don't know what it was to be honest. After a little while you just sort of start to your interest starts to wane a little bit and all that sort of stuff and you So do you know when that when that started to wane a little bit? Probably when I was in uni to be honest. Um I think I don't know if it's just that little extra step towards more independence or you do start taking on um, a bit more, you know, work alongside that as well, you know, you do a little bit more part time work and you regin it. I think and what comes next. I don't. I don't know. And it, it just all of a sudden it was just like. No, nah, I don't necessarily think this is, this is for me anymore. You know, I'm enjoying what I'm studying, but I don't at this point know anymore what I want to do with it. Um, and that was very much a thing when I left uni. I didn't have a clue to be right. honest. Um, I just kept working in the stuff I'd been working in part time. It went from part time to full time, because it it was almost like you had a plan, and this is this was the plan. And then it came the time to to do, the, do a teaching qualification, it was like, no, it's not what I want to do. And then I hadn't really given thought to anything else. You know, I hadn't given a consideration to what else you could do with a history degree or anything like that. So I just kept working and then it wasn't until later and I sort of start this direction back towards heritage that you realised that there's other options there. Yeah, um, It was almost like we talked about it in school a bit more, but then in, in uni, I personally probably didn't explore careers opportunities as much as... I could have, you
0: know. Do you think that was something that you could visualise, and it felt quite safe? Very much so. Yeah. And and so therefore everything's got purpose if you're moving
1: towards that. Very much so, and I think that's I think that makes a lot of sense actually when you put it like that. I think that's a really good point. I think it's good, you know, you you have a you have a goal there, yeah. and it's 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 easy for that to be the the end point, especially when you you're younger. You might say, right, I want to do I want to do this. This is what I want to do. This is going to be the job, but it's miles off yeah. in the distance and it's an easy thing to attach yourself to and it allows you an obvious progression and it almost doesn't necessarily take decisions away from you, but it makes decisions easier about might what you might want to study, how you might want to do things, all of that sort of stuff. And it provides you a track to a certain point. Yeah. Um and I think that is think that's very much the case from my experience anyway definitely and were you studying at university the sorts of things that you were
0: interested in there than that social history stuff and
1: yeah a bit more and you do get a you know a bit more of an element of 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 choice there with, with that sort of stuff as well um yeah there was a there was a really interesting um social history module based around a lot of um the sort of upheaval during the 20th century, a lot of the stuff, you know, like from 1969 and things like that, where it was just mass-led movements of protest across, you know, multiple countries all over the world and things like that. Or things like um, the Vietnam War, but less about what happens on the ground and more about the larger sort of impact that it has culturally and and things like that, which is, you know, really quite quite interesting as well, you know, the um, sort of indelible mark that it leaves on a whole generation of people but also the things like the media and the culture that it produces as well and stuff like that it was nice to look at that in a bit more depth as well and a little bit more chance to have a bit of a deep dive into those kind of resources and, and stuff like that as well or um, so were you involved in any
0: kind of extra stuff there at university like clubs or was it, was it anything that you did there
1: a little bit not much not so much during the um my undergrad degree, it was more um, later when I go back to do a master's degree that I get really more heavily involved in the experience. I think the first time around I take it for granted a little bit, to be honest. Um, I think everybody does. I think, every, yeah, absolutely. Think back, absolutely. I, well, I
0: certainly do. I think back and I think, God, I could have done this with yeah. that time, whereas I chose to do <laughs> do something else yes, <laughs>
1: yeah
0: a, a, a lot less of what I probably should have yeah been I think that's
1: I think that's definitely the, the the case that i found um doing an undergrad yeah I didn't do as much of any of the sort of experiential things that a, yeah. that a university can offer as well and i think it was just because you know I'm not saying I didn't enjoy my time I find it valuable because that's absolutely not the case I you know very much did but it was just like you were you were there and um you know there's a lot of fun to be had but I didn't necessarily throw myself into all of that um sort of society things as yeah, much yeah. as I might have looking back on it now, but that's an easy thing to say. Sit here it, as well. <laughs> I think that's
0: quite common, isn't it? Definitely. See quite...
1: so you've finished your first degree
0: and then what happened
1: after that? What um basically the, the the plan had no longer existed. You know, there was there was no set plan, no idea of what I wanted to do, so I really I already had a part-time job. Um so I just went full-time, full-time there, working in a bookmaker's, not very exciting. Um, and then just basically bounced between a couple of other um, customer service um, retailers jobs uh, full-time for a few years with no idea of really what I wanted to do. It was just doing that because because I felt like I was good at it. It was a safe role as well. You know, there's always those kind of jobs going. Yeah. Um, but it was learning quite a bit of... Um, like management experience there as well as I moved through a few different things um, you know we did some supervisor training and some manager training and started to take on a bit of responsibility leading um, small teams and things like that as well so there was a lot of things that you um, that I could learn and um, sort of informed later more serious jobs almost or certainly how I would ascribe value to them yeah. now but it sort of got to a point where I was I was doing a role which was sort of very, um, sort of corporate and money driven and all that sort of stuff, and it was just like, don't really know. Is that the line in the sand? I'm, why I'm here, yeah, very much so. It was I don't really know why I'm here. I don't enjoy this. Um, you know, the environment could be um, a lot more enjoyable than it, than it is, um, and I think I need to look at something else, but not necessarily just another role where you pass on to something similar. Um, maybe this time I want to think a little bit more seriously about a career and what I wanted to do, and it was sort of led back towards history-related things and started looking at, you know, heritage roles and things like that, and that's why I decided to go back to to uni and do a museum studies course as well. So were you looking for jobs there and thinking, you know,
0: these are kinds of venues that I might like to work in that might have a different working environment? Yeah, we were
1: looking at that and seeing what sort of, and exploring what sort of, looking at it with much more of a career as I spent in mind this time as well right. you know looking at what this um doing the, do the what these kind of roles could lead to uh what these kind of organizations are and also what they mean and you know a lot of um cultural and and heritage sector roles are obviously based working for charities or organizations that have a bit more of a of a public good to them you know where it's it's not just about the pounds and pence but it is because those pounds and pence can be reinvested in the site and things like that. And you just, uh, just perhaps felt a little bit cynical in a previous role and, and needed something a little bit more. Even if working in a similar role initially, you were doing something that made a bit more of a difference or at least had an identifiable end for all of the money yeah. that it was making and stuff like that as well.
0: It's interesting because you know, there's a little bit of
1: a relationship
0: there with that stuff you were enjoying. the you know, being drawn back towards that stuff where you're kind of interested in that that element of social history and yeah, that's quite. See, were you, were you finding that certain jobs had qualifications attached to them? I think probably at that time they did. I think they would less. Yeah, now. very
1: very much so at the time, and you or you would see when you, you you would look online at these different job portals and things like that, masses. and you would see a lot of yes yeah, suggested qualifications and and things like that, and it wasn't necessarily just the driving force behind it it was very much had come to a point and it was like you said before it was the line in the sand the brakes went on and I was like I need a break from this you know Um, and I was fortunate financially to be able to do that you know it's a big thing to to take on and being able to step back from you know full-time working and stuff like that but it was like you know this this doesn't do me any good maybe I can try and do something for a year and throw myself into it and then then you just stop, you know, you work yeah. again, but you you look more at the... It, it was almost just like resetting my brain and thinking, like, well, plan A definitely didn't work out. We're six miles behind that now. What what do we want to do now? And even then, maybe I didn't know 100% for sure, going, in, going into the qualification, what I wanted to do as a career, but it was a good starting point almost to, like, it wasn't starting again, but it was starting another phase. Yeah. And just thinking differently and all of that sort of stuff. And, yeah. It was, that was part of the reason why I enjoyed it so much. It, it, was a, it was an end of one thing and the start of something else. So you picked the Museum Studies course. Is there, is there a reason why you picked
0: that one over, for example, heritage courses given what you might be interested in? I'm
1: thinking um, where my mind was at the time was, well, I've done history now, museums is where you go and you see yeah. the history and all that sort of stuff. But it's also very much what I had in mind as some way to work. Going into that kind of course at the beginning, it was you know it was interesting where where you might end up going into is this something where you go and then I'm going to learn how to work with objects and that's what I'm going to try and pursue or is it going to be engagement or something like that and that's that's kind of obviously where I ended up going but it was nice to go on that journey and learn a little bit about myself and so you totally open to all of that stuff when you yeah very like very much so because it was. Um, it was one eye. It was one eye on a on a sector or a career, but I didn't actually know going back into it. You know, when I sat there in the September, what type of thing I might end up doing, which was actually quite nice. Yeah. Um. And it was you know taking the learning on board from the course and all that sort of stuff, and engaging with the different modules about where I am actually interested and in all of that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um. And it's, it's still sort of dragged me in one one direction, but like I felt much more in control. Yeah. This time I felt like I was sort of solid in the decision I was making that this is very much, this is definitely what I wanted to do and all that sort of stuff.
0: You said earlier that you feel like you made more of it second time round, your second time at university. So how did that manifest itself?
1: Um, Well, most of of the part-time work that I did was at the uni, which I think helps, it sort of keeps you in there. So I was working in the library and then doing ambassadorial work as well. Um, but then we um, looked and did society work and stuff like that as well, which was which was really nice. So a big thing that we did was to revive um, the society, which I believe was called the Culture Club, the Newcastle University Culture Club, yes, yes. Uh, which had existed in various forms before um, and then had sort of um, wilted over time. Um, and we uh, that was sort of brought to our attention. Um, and we we brought that back and, and, and ran that through the year for the course. And that was really nice as well. That was something, it was so very much linked to the course, but it was something that we had control over In myself, and there was about six of us all doing the same course. Um, you know, took that on and yeah. with the help of um, some of the staff as well, took that on and, and ran that and did a programme of, you know, different screenings. You know, we did film screenings in the lecture hall. We did... Um, A couple of socials we did away days you know we did a great away day to yorkshire sculpture park and stuff like that and it was all linked to what people were interested in but it was really nice to um, to take the time to to be involved with that as well i definitely had a a different appreciation of what the sort of experience was for me personally the second time around Um, so it was nice to sort of dive down into that and i think perhaps it just comes with being slightly older at the time or something like that you know just you've
0: had that managerial stuff as well i, I guess yeah where...
1: i think that's possibly what sort of takes you towards it as well you know i did a lot of the representative work as well during the the course rep work um so that was you know that was another that's that it's very very almost work-like yeah um, Which i think
0: aggregating people's issues with the program and then feeding that back through yeah and i the think that's things. i think
1: that's really important as well and i think it's important that there's um sort of that open dialogue there as well you know it's very similar to some of what we do now is providing an open dialogue between some of our volunteer team and the staff within that particular team and things like that as well you know it's very much keeping those open lines of communication and I think that's what you know that was as well you know it's feeding back what people are saying on the ground so that you know it can be improved and then also getting other people's perspectives and things like that as well you know and it's important that Everybody has a chance to be to be heard so that positive change can be made and things like that. as we started you know doing the course um, and the, doing the lectures and all of that sort of stuff, I found myself viewing back towards learning. Um, right. That was very much what I was picking up. That maybe that was where my interest lay again you know teaching wasn't where I wanted to end up. but now coming back into a sort of museum heritage cultural environment, maybe this was the time to pick up education and learning and that's where I found a lot of my sort of academic journey going over the year. That was a lot of things that we did. Um, the, we, you know, we, we hosted a learning event at the Great North Museum, it's ended up what I wrote the um, dissertation on and and I think what I've realised from doing all of that, it's not just the learning, I, I do enjoy that and that's part of the reason that I've enjoyed being a manager and a leader is that I enjoy training and I enjoy sort of helping people improve and things like that but I think actually. When you boil it all down, it's actually just about engagement for yeah. me. That's what I enjoy, enjoy doing That's sort of where I've ended up here. Chatting to people. Chatting to people, <laughs> all of that sort of stuff. Wh- wh- whittling away an hour or so.
0: <laughs> In a, <laughs> a constructive a, way.
1: Having a, having a nice chat. In a const- um, whilst absolutely. you're working. Definitely.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so you came towards the end of your time, your second time at university doing the, the Masters. So what, what happened then?
1: Um, I pretty much went straight back into work um, so I'd done um, the end point of the master's degree was the placement so I did a placement also in a learning team um, and I went back to um, South Tyneside, I did that with um, South Shields Museum, uh, I did a lot of work with their, um, with their team there and then um, it was coming over the summer while I was writing, the, um, writing my dissertation that, I had to start looking for work again, just getting one eye on the horizon. And then um, we were looking at a few different, through different opportunities, and then up pops seton Delaval Hall, um, which I will admit, on record, I had never heard of um, <laughs> before um, Before a lecture, actually, in the master's course. There was a lecture on customer engagement by a consultant at the National Trust. That was the first time I'd ever heard of seton Delaval Hall. Right. Um, and that was when applying for my previous role. I didn't know what it was—they've been paying me for six years now, so I think yeah. this is all yeah. right. You're yeah. safe, <laughs> safe, safe to admit that now. Um, you, but I didn't have any real clue um, about what it was, but it was certainly the right direction, and it's—you know—it turned out to be the best, you know, the best decision I'd made, to be honest. So, what was that job? Um, so initially, um, I ended up under that one job. I think I had three different job titles. Uh, i think initially when i applied for it it was membership and visit a welcome supervisor okay then retail got added on to it at some point and then it became a much more contracted title of just welcome manager right but it was all the same About role in all the same place um but it was you know it was going back to um it was going back to what i'd done before um but this time it felt sort of different you know if i'm being entirely honest I could have got that job without having done the course but that doesn't necessarily matter it was about the the break and what was best for my own welfare essentially um and it sort of buoyed me on as i say probably gave you some confidence there it definitely did yeah definitely definitely did um a wider understanding of some of the complexities that happen absolutely and it was just it was also just a you know a a good route into an organization you know it ended up started doing a lot of research on what the the trust is but also what the trust is as an employer you know it has a it has an identifiable aim as a charity but it's also important to know how it treats its yeah you know workforce and stuff like that and seem to come through with a reasonable tick so that was uh, <laughs> that was good so was that changing role the result of the evolution
0: of Seaton Delaval Hall as a as a site because there's been so much work that's happened here
1: Yeah, very much so, Um, and it was, yeah, it was kicking on from um, the project work, but it was also, you can be quite trusted to um, achieve things and and given quite a lot of responsibility within your role, and I think that's something that we do quite well here is that we do have a good track record of leaders here that are very good at coaching, so that's very much my own experience, you know, my line line manager at the time um, is a fantastic coach, and she really trusted me to take that on to the next level, and provided the support to really improve our visitor infrastructure um, and really look at what we were doing here and you know and improve it. But then also going along with that project, um, a lot of the changes that happened on site. It was nice to sort of be be part of those, um, but it's really kicked on the offer and really what the site is is what what we have now is very different. From the environment that I was working in in 2017, for example. Yeah. So you've been doing the current role for about a year, I think you said. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And so what? What's next? What does the future look like? There's a lot, lot of unfinished business here, um, which is which is nice to see. Um, you know, there's a lot more to uh, a lot more to kick onto here, and a lot more um, uh, to 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 build. Um, I think the important thing, which I haven't mentioned previously, is this this role is. Volunteering and community role didn't exist here until a year ago. Right. Um, it was it was something that was put into our business plan um, and something that I was you know, really excited to, to go for but it hadn't existed before so really now is all getting that blueprint down and carrying on with that and we've got future project work coming up which is going to be a very exciting thing to be a part of and really bringing community into that going into this sort of stuff it it turns out this is this is what i wanted to do didn't know that previously but sort of learned that doing this kind of work um uh is is what i wanted to do and i would like to over time broaden the net um perhaps move into sort of a consultancy role or sort of have um some sort of like project management as well that's what i would like to see myself going into in the future basically doing the work that i'm doing now on a broader scale or taking on a little bit more and, and helping individuals like myself and my colleagues in kicking on with what they're doing and all that sort of stuff. That's yeah. where I would like to see myself going, but still keeping an eye on all this, this fantastic community work. And Well, it feels like a, a good point to, draw things to a close but
0: thank you very much for your time thank you for having me i really appreciate your time no problem at all and thanks i should thanks, say man. that this is the second time we've recorded <laughs> this. just a pesky pandemic got in the way and you changed it
1: roles since did then. indeed so so much has happened since then <laughs> but uh, it was nice to do it both times yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thank
0: you very much andrew thanks Thanks for listening to the podcast. Don't forget, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, SoundCloud and Facebook using the handle Cultural Peeps. And if you want a bit more information about the Careers Pathway project or about any of the conversations or participants, then there's a project blog which is available at culturalpeeps.wordpress.com.